Really excited for today. Uh, we've got a kill from our mortgage broker. It's got some great topics and they specialize in many fields, as you guys know. A lot of our clients are trying to branch into commercial investments for that for that very reason, because the, the um, we've all seen our high streets are becoming a bit more depleted. There's a lot more vacant possessions available. And because of permitted development, what we did touch on earlier, there's a lot more options now around permitted development, mm -hmm. especially around the semi-commercial uses. And I appreciate why investors are, are falling in love with that sort of side of that investment journey now. Uh, what are you most excited for, Mike? Well, I'm a big fan of Akil, um, and I have been for a long time. And what I'm looking forward to getting out of him is what his predictions are for from now for the next couple of years. Because this is a guy who, with his team, lend hundreds of millions of pounds a year to investors. So he's got the insight from the banks. He's got the insights from the business development managers inside the big banks to tell us what's going to happen going forward from 2021. Yeah, he's got a great economic read on, on things from a global perspective, I think. I'm looking forward to hearing about timescales on the different types of finances. Um, I'm interested to know from his perspective the advice he's got for um, the average landlord and then the details around commercial and bridging and things like that as well. So I think it's going to be a, a great podcast, loads of really good info for everyone listening from the, the new investor to the seasoned investor. We're going to cover a lot of topics. I'm looking forward to it. Shall we get him on? Definitely. Kill, thanks for coming on. Excited to get into this conversation. I know there's a lot of landlords that watch this podcast and listen to this podcast. Um, me and Tristan was talking off air slightly about exactly what you do within your business, but how has your journey unfolded and how did you get to become managing director of our mortgage broker? You know what? It was... Um I've done the whole 360 in the property investment cycle. So I bought my first property at the age of 21, so a tender age of 21, and actually fell into property um, just because we had a bit of cash to play with and we wanted to invest that into property. So we went in a bit blind. Uh, we got lucky along the way, and I think you make your own luck along the way. So we've always had a tendency to invest into property because we find it a good safe haven for, for your cash and where you can really appreciate in capital growth. And alongside that, my background is banking and finance. So I started with um, Halifax and the Bank of Scotland in 2003, and I've had uh, taken up numerous roles within the banking and finance industry to date. So with the love of property investing alongside my um, experience in banking and finance I wanted to put that together so I thought what best way to do it is to get qualified and um, with a CMAP qualification so I can give advice to um, clients that want to join the property ladder whether they're looking just to buy their first home um, as well as um, buy properties to invest in as well. Love that. Mike's always got the uh, the key question for everyone that comes on slightly answered within that. I was gonna say yeah you've already you've already given us most of it but the, the key question we ask everyone who comes to chat to us is why become a landlord? Why did you personally choose property over anything else? Um, so yeah as I did touch on it it was an accidental um, but it was an accidental that you know I would never change uh, for love or money at the moment and I think <clears throat> for anybody that's listening to this or if you're watching your videos I think property as I said it is a safe haven um, but you can't go in blindly and the beauty is that we've got great technology we've got great agents like yourself that can advise people that want to get onto the property ladder and do it in one the most cost-effective manner and investing into the right properties because the last thing you want to do is get your fingers burnt especially if you've saved over you know five years ten years and so on the last thing you want to do is go in blind and really scupper the chances of capital growth and investing money. And most importantly, if you're look, if you want to become a landlord tomorrow, you want to keep reinvesting the profits into uh, further real estate. So, you know, don't go in blindly. Um, I I wouldn't change it for the world, as I've said. Um, and I think you know you can certainly prosper um, in the investment journey if you invest rightly 
in the right manner, I should say. But the most key here is to educate yourself along the way because every day is a school day in this business. You know, mortgage rates are changing, the estate agency laws are changing, taxes are changing. So you've got to keep, keep abreast of all the changes and it's key that you have the right power team around you. A lot of um, landlords seem to be accidental landlords. I know mm. something that we've spoken about often when we're sat in HQ at Avocado is the amount of landlords that fall into it. Do you think more landlords would do it if they had that education or, or not landlords? Do you think more people would become landlords if they had that education and that confidence? And sometimes it's just a case they're sort of pushed into it and then actually they realise it's fairly straightforward as long as you've got the right power team, the right education. Um, and they often become a landlord that stays a landlord rather than just being an accidental and then selling two years later. If, if, if the right education was there, do you think more people would be a landlord? Um, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be. I think, you know, I think, as I said, it's a great asset class to invest in. It's fairly a safe haven. If you look at the average house prices in the early 2000s, they were circa sort of 125,000. And then now they've doubled in less than two decades. So, you know, I'd certainly say it's a great asset class to invest in. I think, you know, we talked about technology and the wealth of information out there that's freely available. I think people need to... Um, take it upon themselves to um, advise themselves and teach themselves or take up you know investment classes and so on or just speak to guys like you and I you know to take up the investment advice you know our, our, we always say our sort of motto is that you know a client might just come to us advice on day one but not look to buy a property till 12 months later for mm -hmm. whatever reason so we've got no issues with people doing that and we want people to you know not go into blindly to any deal and we're here to you know handhold them talking through the journey and the process and, and so on and so on. Love that. Tristan, I know we've got a couple of questions from people off air and a couple of questions that you've got. So yeah. what have we got? What have we got for a kill? So first one is BRR. Um, so just wondered if you could break down what exactly is BRR and how it works. Right, okay. So um, there's lots of talk about BRR online and it's, uh, it's a great method of... Um, of uh, investing in and uh, recouping the cash um, from investment property. So just to break it down, you know, BRR, it can actually be BRRRR. So um, the first B is for buying, um, and then the first R is for refurbishing the property. Then the, the second R or third letter, if you like, is to rent the property. And then I like to follow on from that. And what we're looking to do is we're gonna buy it, we're gonna refurb it, then we're gonna refinance it, then we're gonna rent it, and then we're gonna repeat that whole journey. So it's called a brewer, if you like, right? So if you if you follow that methodology, it's a great way of scaling a portfolio in a very small period of time. Because whereas if you buy a property that doesn't need any works doing to it, yes, you're gonna receive a surplus rental income on an annual basis or a monthly, um, but it'll take you some time to build up that capital reserve to go shopping again to buy the second buy to let. Whereas if you buy a property, and you've bought it at the right value where you and now you're going to add value to the property and then refinance it i.e take the cash out that you've put into the property as well as any uh, capital growth you've seen within it then it speeds up that cash deposit for you to go and buy another property so it's in simple terms you're buying it you're refurbing it you're renting it and you're refinancing it and then you're going to repeat that process again so it's a brewer but with a few more r's at the end perfect and the logic on that i guess being around equity growth so that you can refinance it. It goes back to talking to the right people on the ground to make sure that you're getting the best deal, getting the right deal, because you can't just buy anything and refurb it and then expect for equity growth. So it's really key that you do your prep work on that, I would imagine. A hundred percent. And you know, the key, the key sort of specialist advisors you need around, you know, you ensure you're buying it at the right price to so speak to your agents and make sure that you're buying it under value. 
or you know what's the motives around the, the vendor selling the property and where's the value add uh, options for you and if you can't find value add options you then you need to speak to the relevant people so maybe a planning consultant maybe an architect depending on the size of the property itself so you've got to look at you've got to look at the end goal where you want to be in the end um, product if you like and it's not necessarily the first deal that you see that you can do the brewer strategy too. So, you know, it's like you've got to kiss a lot of frogs before you meet the prince or whatever the saying is, right? So it's the same, it's the same principle here in property as well, I would say. Love that. Interesting. Brilliant. And then the next question I have then, so obviously it's not going to be for everyone uh, in terms of this method, but what would your standout client be for that? So what would your typical client be um, in order to use this method? Right. So... There's a lot of talk about no money down and then the strategies that can I buy property with no money down. The short answer is yes you can because it can be done and we've seen people doing it but the key here is if you're buying it in cash then you can do what you want you know you can you can take up private funding you can take up angel funding you can partner up with someone that's cash rich but time poor and so on and so on. But if you're coming to us and you're looking for a mortgage to buy a property and then add value to it and then refinance out of that property, then you've got to make sure you take all the lenders boxes. And what I mean by that is if you've got no income, as in no employment income, and you've got no deposit, it's going to be very difficult for me to get you a mortgage, to be honest with you. But if you've got enough cash for a by way of deposit and you've got the means to refurbish that property using your own cash then then there's mileage in that conversation and that deal itself so our ideal client is someone that's got the deposit monies up front i.e at least 25 percent of the purchase price and then he or she that's got the monies to then do the renovation works and our renovations could be what we call you know a tart in turn so that could be you know painting and decorating new carpets and that sort of stuff. Or it could be more of a scale-up conversion where you might do something within permitted development, which the, you know, the, those options are widely available now, which is great. Or you might want to go the full hog and apply for planning permission. So there's different varieties of ways of converting and add value to the property. But again, you know, speak to us, speak to your agents, speak to a planning consultant and an architect, depending on that, that, that size of um, uh, scheme that you want to um, undergo. Probably got an example of that actually, Mike, I think recently, a couple of weeks ago, with one of the ones in Bracknell, the forebed that we um, we obviously found for an, an investment buyer looking to do a very simple buy-to-let, mm -hmm. four-bedroom terrace, just over um, 335 paid for it. Needed a little bit of love inside. Tartan Town, I think you said it was. I quite like that. <laughs> going to use that. Going to use that. I'm not sure if I'll put a graphic new phrase social that we've media on that, but I like that one. Um, and yeah, made equity growth on it. Let it 150 pounds over what they were expecting maybe 200 pounds over what they were expecting mm -hmm. um so strong yield option to refinance if they want to and very much within what a couple of weeks of, of yeah getting absolutely the keys, two to weeks work and uh, and tenants actually by by chance moved in today um, okay. and they were filming so yeah huge result for them that they were able to just spend just a couple of thousand pounds on carpets flooring yeah. new work surfaces nothing major just um just some elbow grease added on top and it's um Probably shown twenty five thousand pounds increase in value and let since, for, since they did it, and let for oh well in around about six percent yield 
um, on their asking price. Yeah. So there's there's definitely movement in it if they did want to take some money and go again. Yeah, which is amazing. And you know, for those for those guys and girls that are new into the property investment journey or they've got a couple of properties and they now want to take up the Brewer strategy, you know, as Mike and Ian have just said, you know, look at those small options and those small schemes whereas where you can do a quick turn. It's not necessarily you need to do a massive scheme and earn the six figure turn, you know, on that on those sort of deals. But look for the smaller deals sometimes as well because you might miss a trick. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that way if you're gonna make as Mike said, you know, twenty Five thousand in a couple of weeks or a couple of months. You said, you know, it's 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 fairly easy money. So, and then you can go again and go and again. But the other thing I wanted to add to that is, you know, you've got to let your agents know the types of properties you're looking for. So I'm a big believer of, you know, have your power team around you. And make sure everyone's on the same page. So if if your um, listeners are, are you know looking for properties where they can. Um, undertake renovations and so on you know tell the agent you know you're looking for a three bed that's you know unloved for many years and so on and so on this is the price bracket and i want to bring it up to a good standard and then i want to um, put it on a buy to let you know the agents want to i'm sure you guys want to work with these um, these investors right we want specific yeah for, from an agent's point of view what 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 i want to hear is i want this location this type of property this design yeah and that means you're memorable to me Anyone who calls me and just says, I want, I want something cheap, below market value, it's ten, ten a penny. Yeah. The thing is, I, you know, I have a lot of clients, they ask me, where shall I invest? And I'm like, well, first and foremost, you know, try to invest close to home or where you travel, or where you work or where you have fun and where you go out because those are the areas that you know very well. If it's not affordable, I understand that and you may want to go further up north or further down south, wherever you're listening to this from. But invest close to home and then network around those agents and tell them what you're looking for. But don't just follow the herd. And I say that to a lot of clients because when you pick up news like Manchester's done this, Liverpool's done this, you've missed the boat because you should have been there three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. So my advice to those investors are look for properties that are undervalued, look, look for properties that are unloved where you can add value to them and look for opportunities where there's regeneration. You know, where we are in Bracknell over the last five, six, seven years, it's had a, a whole host of um, regeneration. So look for towns that have got good commuter belts. You know, these are just, I call them simple things, but again, they're not simple, it's not common. But, you know, think outside the box, you know, reach out to us all um, for that relevant advice. I'm sure we'd love to help all your listeners. And I think a lot of um, property investors and future landlords, they can be quite frustrated with estate agents through no fault of the estate agent, I guess, because the estate agent is there to work on behalf of the owner and get the best price. And I've often found over the years in agency when someone's looking for a certain specific, the agent's looking for something that's a bit tired inside, but they're not necessarily looking at it from a property investor's perspective. Mm. They just think it's 15 grand less than the one around the corner that's just sold. And actually narrowing down with the agent to say, I need a three bedroom, Mm -hmm. but it has to be one that's got a garage to the side, not integral, and it has to have double driveway and double width garden. Whereas that might not be the best priced property when you look at it from an agent's perspective, because they might think the mid terrace is cheaper. But it's not about the mid-terrace being cheaper because it's about the option to maybe go into the garage, over the garage. Um, and actually, they'll pay a little bit more for that because putting the money in, they can make more equity from it. So yeah. it's really important that I think people spell it out to the agents exactly what they're after um, and that it is non-negotiable. Um, so, yeah, good subject. What else have we got, Tristan? Um, so we sort of touched on uh, the other two points that I had sort of written down, really. was um, One of them was the power team that you sort of briefly spoke about. Yeah. Um, so I wonder if you go into that in a bit more depth, but in order to, to make the system work, 
obviously you're going to need a number of different people, contractors and uh, maybe finances in place, but is yeah. there any, is there a, a, a perfect sort of power team you'd recommend that someone would need to research or have in place in order to make it work? Yeah, I think there's probably a handful that are definitely, they're the major standouts for me. And first and foremost is your mortgage broker. You know, hopefully it is us that are listening here. Um, but mortgage brokers are imperative, especially if you are looking up taking up finance, uh, because we're going to give you the options that are available, the rates, the terms, and all the fees that go alongside it. Then I think the second most important person is the agents yourselves, because you guys are going to be able to the, be able to open doors for those people and show them properties that they're looking for. And as Mike and Ian said, you know, you've got to be very well. You've got to basically give them a short list of, you know, these are the things I need. If you've got it, contact me. If you haven't, don't contact me. I think the third person you need is a property tax accountant. And um, because of the new tax laws around Section 24, you've got to be conscious of the tax uh, implications. So we um, provide advice on buy-to-let mortgages in your personal name, as well as buy-to-let mortgages in a limited company structure. So um, we like to provide two options so clients can compare apples and apples, especially if you are um, a first time landlord or venturing into a portfolio um, uh, portfolio space, if you like, or four or more mortgage properties. So that's the third person. And the fourth one would be um, uh, the planning consultant and the architect. And depending on the type of scheme or the type of conversion, you might not need both. You might just need one of them or you might not need any, but planning consultants are all about the law and the legalities of what you're trying to do. And then the architect's gonna make you know those pictures come to life and show you how you can do it around the architect and design part. And I think the fifth person, um, who would my fifth person be? Oh yeah, sorry, the trades. Yeah. yeah, the guys that are gonna do the job. So that's my handful of people. So it's the trades. So again, depending on the scheme, um, depending on the area. Now, you know, I always say to my clients, either invest locally in your, you know, in your core towns, or if you're going to move out, you know, if you're going to invest 100 miles up the road, 200 miles up the road, you need to create that power team of trades in that area. So you've got to go out to tender. And the best way of doing that is speak to the agent that's selling you that property because more, more, than, more likely or not, that, that agent will know local trades. And local trades means plumbers, electricians, painter decorators, um, you know, proper builders, landscapers, and so on, and they'll put you in touch with their power team as well. And don't just don't just take the agent's opinion, you know, compare apples and apples, you know, go down the road and put your project out for tender. Don't just take the first quote. I always, whenever we do any work like that, I'll always go out to three builders, or I'll always ask for three quotes wherever I go. Um, it's like when I give my wife choices for dinner on the weekend, like what restaurant do you want to go to love? Um, but anyway, um, so we say yes, go out to three people, get three quotes and then you can compare apples and apples because like all types of businesses and services you want to get the best for your buck not necessarily the cheapest means best but sometimes you've got to take a good medium as well so they're my top five that i'll definitely recommend and i don't know what you guys anything you want to add i'll to throw that? in a number six Please legals do. yes 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 the solicitor let's not choose the cheapest solicitor if you're looking to to buy property if you're looking to do this whether it's a living or whether it's a side investment Choosing a bad, cheap solicitor will stop you from getting to where you want to go. We've probably all got horror stories around that piece, right? And, yeah, and they're, at the 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 they're at the end of the chain. They're at the end of the chain. You know what? It, you know, they're doing their job. They've got to tick all the boxes, and I really appreciate that. But you know, it, it sometimes becomes a bit frustrating because they're literally at the end of the chain. We've all done our, we've all played our parts, and we're just thinking, how long more? Or why do they need this? But listen, you know, we're all team players. We want to make sure we all doing the best for our clients and, and, and we want to um, come to a speedy conclusion, obviously, for obvious reasons. So 
Um, but you're right, I love that one, yeah. Legals. Anything from your side, Ian? Yeah, I think on the power teams, not necessarily to add to it, but I think mentioning about, you know, talk to the local person, I think social media is such a great place to get good tips and advice from and you have to be careful going to the estate agent with trades because often they have their own sister business that they're making markups on um, but I think with if it's an area you don't know go into the local Facebook group ask the question any recommended painter and decorators you'll probably get 60 comments and you can work out the good from the bad can't you um, and I think they're little tips that helps if you're going outside of your patch mm -hmm. also to remember on the power teams that much like coffee you know coffee is not just one thing there's all different types of blends of coffee there's all different types of options of coffee and you obviously put mortgage advisor in that bucket but mm. from your point of view obviously you're doing mortgage advice within commercials buy to lets you know refinancing and i think it's really important that if someone is going to be a property investor and treat it as a side profession or a full-time profession that the solicitor the agent the advisor they have that right person because mm -hmm. it's it's someone that needs to have the same level of experience, I think. A property investor themselves is going to be able to give them the right advice. If you're talking to an estate agent that lives at home with their mum or a mortgage advisor that just walked out of Halifax and they own a residential but they've never bought a buy-to-let, mm -hmm. it might not be the best person to get the advice from, I would say, panel-led conveyancing where you're mm. talking to an administrator, not a fee owner that's done it before and probably got a portfolio themselves. So ask the right questions it's an interview process at the end of the day and you're the client so you've got the power you've got the power ball to, to make that power team i would say yeah and i totally agree and i think you know i think what came out of the last point was recommendations you know i'm a, you we all are going to recommend people that we trust with our clients because it's our reputation on the line um so yes you know you know for your listeners out there do reach out and we do ask our clients do you have a preferred solicitor if not, can we recommend someone? And we'll do that um, wholeheartedly and we'll obviously recommend them to the right person. And I know a lot of clients, as Mike did touch on, it's not always the cheapest is the best. And you know, we've had experiences where the cheapest have been the best and they've not been the best, but um, we like to recommend people that we like, know and trust. That, that's very important to us. Question I've got is around speed for certain finances. I'm always interested to know Residential speeds, obviously, I've kind of been in that fold, understand how quickly you're going to get a mortgage off as long as it's straightforward. But mm. for a commercial purchase, let's say on the high street, commercial unit below, it potentially could have some flats above or it might have two rundown flats above. Yeah. Um, so you're looking at it from a kind of almost split use perspective, but typically a commercial mortgage. What What's the difference in speeds to get a commercial mortgage? Is it a lot more complex for the client as well? Right. So... Yes, um, residential will be a lot more swifter, cleaner, simpler, and be less um, time consuming. Whereas a commercial has obviously a commercial element to it. So if it is a commercial investment that you're purchasing, i.e. a mixed use with a residential above, the commercial lender will want to look into the terms of that lease mm -hmm. with the covenant themselves. So they'll look at the length of the lease, the type of industry that they're in, how have they been um, paying their uh, monthly rent over the last 12 to 18 months in particular around covid and have they've seen any um troublesome times coming up or have they had any troublesome times in the last 12 months so the key here is to understand the lease the strength of the covenant and the rental agreement and then again it's about the experience of the landlord themselves so do they own other commercial units very similar to that so a lot of our clients are trying to branch into commercial investments for that for that very reason because the the um, we've all seen our high streets are becoming a bit more depleted there's a lot more vacant possessions available 
And because of permitted development, what we did touch on earlier, there's a lot more options now around permitted development, mm -hmm. especially around the semi-commercial uses. And I appreciate why investors are, are falling in love with that sort of side of that investment journey now. But what I would say is, going back to your question around time, yes, it will take longer. To acquire a semi-commercial mortgage typically is between 8 and 16 weeks, typically. The cost of borrowing is obviously a lot more because, mm -hmm. for obvious reasons, it's a commercial mortgage. The terms are a lot more... Um, the terms are a lot more uh, flexible and that's to do with the type of contract that you've got in place or the lease. Mm -hmm. So if it's six years remaining on the lease, the term might only be six years. They may only offer a repayment strategy. They may only offer an interest-only strategy. So these are the conversations that we'll have with the client and the lender in particular. But it's not like a mortgage from, I don't know, uh, NatWest is 1.99, take it or leave it. Yeah. They're a bit more, there's a bit more uh, flexibility. It's a not bit more negotiation. Box. It's kind of a bit more looking into the circumstance for each one individually. That's correct, yes. Yeah. So it's a lot more negotiable and um, depends on the actual um, um, case itself. So yes, it can be done. There's a lot more um, uptake on that side, actually, as well. And what about bridging? I know a lot of your clients, I think you've probably got some, some good experiences with clients over yeah. the course of this year so far. But with bridging finance, if someone said that in a state agency as an industry, they'd be horrified by the idea of bridging finance. But actually, it's relatively straightforward. And do you have a lot of successful clients kind of utilising that, that system at the moment? Yeah, we've been doing bridging for years now. Um, and it's a great resource to have in your toolbox, so I'd say to um, a lot of our clients. Um, bridging has always had a, a bad sticker to its name where it's been very expensive. They're like sharks and so on and so on. Um, you know, what's expensive, what's not, everyone's got their own views on things. You know, bridging used to be about 15% per annum as a rate. Now they're circa between five and 10% per annum. It depends what you're looking to do. What's the strategy? So first and foremost, Ian, if you're gonna sell me a property that's not mortgageable and that's not habitable, but you're selling it, you're gonna have a buyer one day. So I either buy that property in cash or I buy it on a bridging loan because it's not mortgageable. So if I haven't got deep pockets and I don't, or I don't want to buy it in cash, I may opt to buy it uh, via a bridging loan. And that's what bridging loans are there for. They're a bridge until you want to do what you, whatever you want to do to that property, whether convert it to a buy-to-let mortgage or sell it on the open market at, the, at a mortgageable and habitable condition. So bridging is a great resource. In terms of timeframes, you know, you can complete, it's complete in the timeframes that are required. So if it is an auction purchase, you know, 28 days or 56 days, uh, part of the contract, it can be done as long as everyone works collectively. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a great resource from that perspective. Um, again, if you're looking at taking up the Brewer strategy, the BRR, as Tristan said, you know, bridging plays a great part in that um, because you haven't got any tie-ins. You know, you can buy it on the 1st of January and repay the bridge on the 1st of March, for example, and there's no penalties. Um, there are mortgage lenders out there that don't off that offer, sorry, um, no early repayment charges mortgages now as well. So these are the conversations that we'll have with our clients to understand is speed important, is rates important, is um, the overall cost of the borrowing important. So we'll, we'll weigh up all the options, provide a bridging loan quote, you know, a, a traditional mortgage with and without an early repayment charge as well. So, you know, you know, our, our job is um, it's uh, it's like a. Uh, you've got to investigate a lot, you know, it's not, it's what the computer says this, it all fits with everyone, you know, every single case or inquiry is very much subjective to the applicant themselves. And I guess as well, it's it's a case of, much like with the coffee, cheap coffee, expensive coffee, mm. if you've got the right person 
that's got that advice that you just mentioned there, you would look at that as almost a, a two or three step process. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people maybe look at bridging and say, well, that's not going to give me the goal that I want, but it might be the best way to get the foundation laid to get to the goal that you want. So it's almost we're doing this to get to that point rather than just this is what we're going to do. Um, so a good option for, for property investors and, and people looking to potentially get on the ladder. Maybe, for example, the kitchen is unhabitable. Yeah. You can't get a mortgage, but you're a kitchen fitter. You get bridge in finance, go in there a couple of weekends on your own, mm-hmm. six months later, refinance it. And you've had the advantage because you've taken the risk factor with the bridge in finance that someone around the corner didn't quite understand the, the benefits of it, I guess, would be a perfect example, really. Yeah, so, exactly that. And if those, if those investors are looking to retain those properties, properties and you know put that into inside their portfolio there are bridging lenders that have a buy to let product that sits alongside that bridging loan as well so these are the conversations we'll have with our clients you know what's the what's the end goal are you retaining that property so we can look what they call a bridge to let product so it's two mortgage offers on day one one for the bridge and one for the buy to let as long as you do what you said you're going to do part of the refurbishment the bank will then just convert that bridge into a buy to let so there are numerous ways of um, of cutting the cake if you like like that Quick fire round. I love these rounds on these podcasts. Mike is going to do quick fire round. He's quick on the draw. Um, the quickest of us today, by the looks of it. Hopefully, switched right on. Right, let's get into it. What happens next in the property market? Ooh, in terms of price? In terms of what's your crystal ball? Uh, prices will keep going up. Rates will go up after 2025. 2025. Yes. So we've got four strong years of naught point something rates. I believe so, yes. Do you think they'll stay as low as they are currently? Because I've seen some crazy deals at the moment. We're going lower. And residential. I think rates will stay very low, um, but keep an eye on the 10 year swap in the US because there's talk of that keep going up. So 10 year swap is what you need to keep an eye on. But I think rates will go up in small increments from 2025 onwards. But the other thing you have to keep an eye on is inflation as well and how they're going to cap inflation and collar that in. So it's a bit of a geeky topic, but something that as we as property professionals need to know a bit more about. So it's very, very important. Next question. Quick firing. <laughs> if you were, if you could invent or invest in the perfect deal tomorrow, what would it look like? Um, it'll be a semi-commercial property where I convert the commercial into residential. Change of use. Change of use. And what's the best one one single piece of advice you could offer a landlord one pearl of wisdom mm, don't do what you did previously you need to pivot and go with modern technology and modern ways of investing in property like it very good good on the quick farm interesting mm. that I think we might have to do a separate subject on the crystal ball of the property market I think that's a, a different conversation to have as well um, some great advice some great information there stuff that I'll take on board I'm sure there's some bits that that you guys are taking on board as well so yeah really really enjoyed that podcast and um, thank you for joining us Akil pleasure thanks for having me guys thank you so gents uh, Akil's just finished his podcast I love that podcast. There's loads of great insight and he left us with a little bit of a tease at the end there with his uh, mystic Meg prediction into what happens with the property market. Um, but it was as good as I thought it was going to be and I think probably all of us took a little bit of advice from it as well from his perspective. Uh, Mike, you had a couple of key questions in there with him um, but what was the kind of key takeaways that you took from that one? Well, it's, it's good to get to know the man behind the brand first and foremost. I think it's, it's really good that someone was prepared to step up and say, this is who I am, this is what I like, this is what I don't like. 
but yeah, to, to get a, uh, a mortgage broker on camera and, and, and give you his opinion all the way through to 2025, it's a massive confidence builder for me. Yeah, definitely. And from your perspective, dealing with landlords, you know, on the coalface day to day, what kind of tips and tricks do you think people would have taken from that podcast? Definitely. I think there's lots to take away, um, depending on obviously the experience of that landlord. But there were some things that he uh, touched on from spoke about when investing in an area, making sure you do your research beforehand. If you don't know the area, speak to the people and do your research. Invest in uh, areas where there's development happening, mm. which is obviously great advice. And I think it's shown that obviously hearing from his own mouth. The basic rules just keep coming back, don't they? Yeah. Mm. It's not rocket science, it's just confidence. Either people feel like they can, or people feel nervous around it. So if someone's teasing and right on the edge of thinking, could I, can't I, and they want to build their own power team, speak to us and we can help link a lot of these power teams together with tried and tested people so there's less risk factor. So that's another podcast from the Landlord page. Um, hopefully you're following us on all the socials, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we're everywhere for you to find us. If you are enjoying these podcasts and you would like a particular subject discussed or a particular person to come on um, and have a chat with us, then please do comment, drop us a direct message and we'll uh, ensure to try and get that to happen. And until the next time, thank you for watching and thank you for listening. Thank you. I'm flicking through YouTube and through Spotify. I don't think there's a podcast or a video channel on YouTube that landlords can land on where they're not being sold something. I mean, it'd be the first time any estate agents ever asked that question, but why not ask that question to a wider audience? They just have the knowledge there, but they don't seem to share it. You can do different episodes based around someone that wants an exit plan or someone that's just starting their portfolio. The rules change every year. Yeah. But why not just open the floor out and just say, well, is property even the best investment out there? And tax advice is a big thing, especially with everything that's changed, capital gains yeah. tax, and obviously your stamp duty costs that you need to pay and whatnot. People don't realize what they need to prepare for. We build a podcast and we build a YouTube channel, somewhere that landlords can go and they feel they're not being sold to, but they're just getting quality advice.